Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. Do you ever say a word over and over again so that it becomes common in your mind? But if you take a moment and really think about it, it's arbitrary and weird. Take the word spoon, for example. <laughs> yes, I know this is a strange start to a podcast intro, but you should know that about me by now, so stick with me. Okay, we all know what a spoon is, but when you say it a bunch of times, you start to realize that's a weird word. Who the heck came up with calling a scoopy thing you eat with a spoon? Spoon. We normalize these things in our brain the more we say them or experience them. We become desensitized over time to their uniqueness and just accept them for what they are. We don't often challenge what has become normal. Spoon. Not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but spoon is of Germanic origins, meaning chip of wood, which really doesn't help the conversation at all. All right, I do have a point here. Let's get back on track. Let's spin this forward to this conversation and throw another phrase out at you. Human resources. Think about it for a second. It's kind of cold, isn't it? Objectifying maybe just a little bit. People are people, you know, not just resources to be managed. You hear human resources, and you're, you're used to saying it all the time now. You're used to it part of a function of an organization. But if you take a second to think about it, it kind of sounds like, Hi, I'm Jane. I manage the human assets. John over there manages the material resources, and, and Bill manages the software stuff. It's kind of cold, right? It's like a, just a asset or a commodity versus, you know, a person. And yet the human resources departments, like we, we talk about this, I'm saying it's cold, but like the, the human resources departments of every organization are the people that care the most about the employees. These are the living, breathing hearts and souls of an organization. But their title and their sector of the industry, I don't know, kind of sounds menacing in a way when you really think about it with a fresh set of eyes and ears. Smarter people than me, I think, have started to feel the same way. I've seen more and more titles start to break away from straight-up human resources and break towards something more akin to chief people officer or people and culture or, you know, whatever. The voice of the people. Um, there's nothing wrong with human resources. I'm not making a big deal about it. I'm not getting upset over it. I'm not staging a walkout. There's no big problem here. I just sometimes like to question some of the things we start to accept as normal. You know, if you watch a movie from like the 80s, you'll see people smoking at their de work desk or on airplanes. And that seems so crazy now, but it was totally normal for a while until someone said, hey, maybe we should do this a little bit differently. <laughs> Again, I'm not conflating human resources with smoking on a plane, but I just find myself enamored with norms and accepted behaviors and terms that when you really think about them are a little bit out of place. Which brings me to today's guest, John Ferguson, who is the VP of People and Culture at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, one of the biggest ownership groups in sports, Washington Wizards, Mystics, Capitals, Arenas, esports teams, conferences, TV networks. Monumental has their arms around and dominate the sports scene in the DC region. And John is one of the coolest, most down-to-earth people I have ever spoken with in my life, and I mean it. He cares about the people and the culture of his operation. He cares so much about every person that comes into the organization, creates a culture that, to bring out the best in everyone. 
I've listened to this interview a couple times now during the interview process, during the editing process. I just can't get over like John sharing advice and strategies and frames of mind and ways to approach things. And he's just laying it all out there for you. And uh, this is one of my favorites. Gear up. One of my favorite discussions of all time here is John Ferguson, VP of Culture, People and Culture at Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Hey, John, what's happening? Hey, nothing much, Brian. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, I feel like it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a few messages back and forth, but we made it happen, and I'm, I'm excited to be here. This is so cool. As, as you and I were talking a little bit before we got started, you know, whenever we have somebody as connected to people and culture and some of these tangential roles associated with with human resources, our audience eats it up because this is the information we want. So thank you so much for jumping on. You're welcome. You are welcome. And it's so cool, the technology that we have these days. We've all I know, leaned, cool? we have all leaned into technology, whether we wanted to or not this year, uh, just due to, due to the pandemic. So it's, it's been a good it's been a good, I would say, challenge, but also a uh, continuous learning moment. It's so true. Like we've become very accustomed to the video world because our company is actually remote based anyway. So I'm in Philadelphia. We have staff in Canada, Oregon and uh, Phoenix, and we've always been that way. So we've been very used to this remote world, but so many people this year have been forced to learn it. And, and that really applies actually to the hiring world that we're talking about so much. So let's just go there since we're already talking about let's it. Let's do it. Uh, video interviews have become a huge trend and that yes. is a anxiety inducing thing for a lot of people. What do you see? What are kind of the best practices? What are the important things that people should be kind of learning and getting comfortable with as we do this? Great. Uh, so I think this is good news for me. It could be bad news for others. Video interviews are here to stay. Yeah. I do not see them going away. Um, I think in many ways they have a lot of upside and that can be related to the potential uh, for saving money, uh, a potential for creating a more objective interview uh, framework, but also the time savings. Uh, yeah. So, you know, my first experience with doing a video interview, I'm currently in grad school and I applied for this this grant uh, scholarship opportunity and, and part of it was to do an interview and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, phone interview. I was I was comfortable with that. And yeah. then they sent me the video interview and I was like, wait a minute. Like, you know, I do interviews all the time, but I had to get comfortable with looking at myself in a camera and yeah. and knowing that I had one take. Uh, and so that, that really stands out to me because I'm not gonna lie, I was a little anxiety around that because uh, you know, as a as a millennial and the generation behind me, uh, uh, Gen Z, they you know we're used to this social media world where I can yeah. take a couple couple videos, uh, do a bunch of different edits, put a filter on it, and then I get the final product. Uh, <laughs> with this with this interview platform that I had to interface with, you know, they read the question or the prompt was given. You had one minute to get your thoughts together, and then the camera turned on, and you had two minutes to provide your response. Um, as an extrovert, I think I, you know, a lot of my energy comes across better in person. So it was like, yeah. how do I translate that to a video interview? Uh, and similar to tips that I've told people for doing phone interviews, you want to make sure that you sort of walk around. I think that helps your energy just in your voice uh, like translate. Uh, and so for this interview, while I couldn't walk around because I need to stay in front of the camera because it was recording, I, I tried to make sure that I was making eye contact with the camera, that I was smiling. Um, and that I just tried to treat it as if I was talking to someone as best yeah. I could. Uh, so I would tell everyone, if you get those opportunities to do video interviews, to make sure that you get comfortable with the technology. 
Um, and I think it's okay to even give yourself a few interview questions and record saying them because I noticed that I move my hands and my head a lot. And so I wanted to be conscious of like, okay, don't do too much, but do enough to be engaging. So I think that the video interviewing platforms are here to stay. And I love the fact that we could send this video interview email to 20 candidates at one time. Yeah. They have a time frame in which they need to record the responses and send it back. And now I can send that out to the entire hiring team. So it's not per se the recruiter's handscribed notes from the phone conversation. It is now you can see it for yourself and yeah. take away from it. And we are ensuring that everyone had the same question. And there was no, you know, we didn't ask a follow up question that another person didn't yeah. get a chance to. So I really I really value uh, the technology there. And I think it's just going to be a great addition to the recruiting front. Okay, so let's take this from both the candidate side and from you, the employer side. Um, for a candidate, right? Mm -hmm. How do they, because you said it, you're an extrovert, you want that to come through. A lot of people tell me all the time, like, if I'm sitting in a room with somebody, I know I can sell myself and let all my soft skills come through and really convince them I'm a right match culturally and everything else. Is that something that people are getting good at and can do in this kind of format? Or is that lost a little bit? Like, do you have any tips for anybody to really get themselves out there on the video? I think practice. Yeah. Practice. Practice is the way to do it. I think when you build repetition, you get more comfortable in front of the camera. I think it's the, you know, I, I would say for this generation, the millennials, especially, you know, we're, we're just used to we can sort of curate this image. Um, and, and even to a lesser point than... Gen Z, research is showing that Gen Z, uh, they have grown so accustomed to curating it that they yeah. sometimes fall flat when it's an in-person engagement. Millennials, we have, we can still show up and do it, but we probably have to get more centered on the brand that we have in that curated space. So it's like we can go between both worlds, uh, but we're not as focused as you would see a Gen Z because they're like, this is my, this is my Instagram profile and it yeah. is top notch. You know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an influencer at whatever space that I'm doing it. Yeah. And millennials are kind of like, yeah, these are my family photos. Like it, it looks cool. And now you know, trust me, there's different perspectives in each lane, but I think the main point is to practice. And so yeah. just as you would do with any traditional interview, I would encourage you to role play with your friends. I encourage you to send someone a Zoom link, a yeah. Google Meet link and say, hey, we're gonna get on this and I want you to interview me. Uh, here recently, I helped a colleague, a former colleague who turned friend prepare for his first video interview. So we got on the call and he's, I'm like, wait, first, you gotta get your background right. I mean, yeah. it's just oh, as gosh, small as that. Yes. Make sure that your background is good. Make sure it's clean. Make sure that your lighting is good. Make sure that your audio is 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 quality. Uh, I would say, you know, take a take the dare drive and get off the uh, the wireless and plug into your Ethernet if you can, just so you have a stable connection. Because no one wants that that choppiness, especially when you have something. Uh, as important as a job interview and for whatever that means for you as an individual for your family or just career progression so i really think the the tip here is the same in any interview scenario is to practice and i think the more that you become comfortable with the uh the setup and the design the technology the better you will be i i think it's it's brilliant advice and i thank you for it i i, I one of the things that i always harp on with people is their lighting because i'll do a seminar or i'll do a panel and it'll be me with a bunch of college students you know right and 
we're on Zoom and you can barely see any of them because they have light behind them and yeah. it shades their face, right? So you can't see what they're what they're looking at or what they're doing. And body language is so important in this process that mm-hmm. get the light on your face so that they can see you and and know that you're smiling and that you're engaged and you're making eye contact. All those little body language cues are so important yes. too. Yes. There's another thing. So my, my wife is a professor and with me being in grad school, I'm amazed at how many students come to this virtual classroom, cameras off. Yeah, I'm drives like, me nuts. Only the professor has his camera on and then me, I guess the eager beaver in the front row, I have mine on because I believe in the relationship. Yes. And I think that's what you want to try to convey the most in these virtual interviews as you would in person. Uh, you know, people ask the question of what are you looking for in candidates? I yeah. think for depending on if you're early in your career, experience may not be as much because you just haven't had the exposure yet. But the higher you are in your or the more tenured you are in your career, I'm going to look at those soft skills. You okay. know, I really think it boils down to who do I want to have a conversation with after we've had triple overtime and after a Capitals game and it's now 1 a.m. And, you know, we're just going back to the office, cleaning up stuff. Who yeah. can I have small talk with? Like, man, I'm tired. Uh, do you, you know, you want to go grab a bite to eat? It's those moments I think that really matter because it allows you to see who a person is beyond their resume. Um, right. One of my favorite questions to ask um, in an interview, and I got this from 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 my leader that I that I support, uh, was you know, tell me something about yourself not on your resume. Okay. So I think be prepared for that. Uh, yeah. Because sometimes we go into resume and we're so prescribed by what's on this piece of paper yes. that we forget to like bring who we are and, and let that shine. Because sometimes those hobbies, those extracurricular activities can be those moments that make you stand out. When we've spoken to 20 different people yeah. and we could say, well, you know that one person whose hobby was skydiving, they've been skydiving 10 times and that yeah. just stands out. So it's something that allows you to separate yourself. It's so cool too. Like you hear people say in the sales world all the time that uh, people buy from other humans, right? They buy from people they like and there's a connection and there's a relationship there. I think the same thing applies to the hiring world, right? You hire people that you like and you want to be around and you fit with, like we talk about all the time, like skills are important. That's how you get noticed a lot of times. But then the personality, the charisma, the other soft skill things are what finalizes the deal in a lot of ways, right? No, I, w- I would I would totally agree. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Um, I think employers and more so employees or candidates are really interviewing employers. I think what we're seeing with millennials and Gen Z is that, hey, I want to make sure that this is a good fit for me. Do I feel aligned with this company? Do I support their mission? Uh, do I support their values? Uh, and also when we look at the things of 2020, there were there were tons of uh, social justice things that that, yes. that bubbled up uh, that were always there, but now they're mainstream. And I think a lot of candidates and employers are aware of that. Um, and I think uh, candidates are looking for that in an employer. And then I think employers and organizations and companies have to figure out where do they stand in that space and how much amplification do they want to to use their platform to produce. So it's it can it's it's interesting, but I think 2020 has been a year of transition for all aspects of our lives. There's a great conversation we're going to have regarding culture because that's a big part of your role, and I think that's a really important conversation to have. And I definitely want to get there, but before we do, I, I still want to get into this this the tactics kind of side a little bit. Yes, uh, which I love. I love the advice you're sharing. This is so great. So walk us through the process a little bit because you know. 
you're you're representing a huge brand. I mean, we've got we got Wizards caps, uh, Mystic gaming teams, events, arenas. Like you guys have it all, right? So yes. you have a a job that opens up. And I'm guessing you get flooded with a lot of resumes. Mm -hmm. What is your kind of walk us through process of how you end up getting to the point where you've got the candidate that you feel is the right match? Mm. It takes some time. I tell you that. Yeah, I bet. It's, 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 there is no exact formula. So um, I'm going to kind of give it from, you know, from a hiring team recruiter perspective, but also yeah. mix in candidate advantages and what you can do here. Set up alerts. I love the LinkedIn app. Uh, because you can apply within and they you can set up filters and searches all sorts of stuff so it's great for that and that's another tip have and download the linkedin app so many people i think are unaware of that but that is that is how as an hr professional i network it's like oh you're on linkedin let's connect here's my qr code etc uh so the first thing is to apply for the job yeah. um and then you know have some grace for yourself you know data shows that men will apply for uh, a job that they may not remotely be qualified for uh, and research shows that women are more analytical in looking at that job description and they may say hmm, well you know I hit 90% but the other 10% so maybe I'm not going to apply my my theory there is never close the door on yourself I think you should always put your name in the hat but be mindful do I have the core skills needed to do this job right. uh, one of the interesting things that I think we see sometimes in sports is that some people don't fully understand what these roles are. And so we have people with limited to no or complete opposite experience. Like, yes, I can be the general manager. Well, <laughs> your, your last role didn't quite give you the skills for that, uh, but we're excited about your passion to join uh, a sports team. So apply. First step is to apply. Make sure your resume is good. Make sure it's clear. Make sure it, it, it qualifies the work and the value that you've added to your previous roles or previous opportunities, whether it's internships or in the classroom. Uh, some recruiters feel differently about the cover letter, but I still see value in the cover letter uh, simply because it allows you to tell more about yourself uh, than what's captured on the resume. And that's really important in sports because it's very competitive. Yeah. And everybody is applying for these five positions you know varying levels of experience so i think this just gives you an opportunity to add a little more flavor to the profile that you are submitting um and then from there we have uh, either the hiring manager or talent acquisition team will go in and start sort of filtering through those uh, applications that have come in here's a tip if there's questions associated with that application make sure you fill them out and if it's uh typically those are screener questions yeah. uh, so if you were to answer no to something depending on the question that might be something that sort of filters you out of the process. So, you know, answer those appropriately so you Details don't get matter. strained out. Yeah, so you yeah. don't get strained out too early uh, because we may post a marketing job, which I think are probably the most popular marketing community relations. You get a thousand applicants. We have yeah. one position. Um, and so it's like, how do we even initially attack that volume, but also make sure that we are giving everyone uh, an opportunity for the role. So I really believe in the, the questions that we add to applications. And I think that's an opportunity for candidates to really sort of tease out a specific part of the experience or 
or make the connection with a transferable skill. So maybe they don't have direct experience, yep. but they have this other transferable skill that aligns and can support what that position needs. That's so important, right? Is, is you can use your cover letter to help ex expand upon those transferable skills while you're yes. a fit. Tell me a story. Give me a little bit of insight into you. I mean, it's such a undervalued tool, I think. I mean, yes. I've read hundreds and thousands of resumes and cover letters, and I get so tired of it. And people have heard it on this podcast, me saying it a hundred times, that people take their resume and put it in paragraph form nope. on their cover letter. And it's like, that's such a wasted opportunity. Like, no. give me something and give me some insight into you and your personality and and give me something that's going to interest me. Right? No, definitely make it make, tell a story. I, I agree with yes. that. Uh, do you have any stories of like a uh, phenomenal cover letter that stands out to you? Yes. Oh, okay. So I'm glad you asked that. I have two actually, um, one for the right reasons and one for the wrong reasons. Okay, one for the, one for the wrong reasons is kind of what you articulated before, uh, spelling errors, uh, grammatical errors, things of that nature that just say to me, like this person, doesn't have the attention to detail that they need for this job. But I actually had somebody who was applying to be an anchor on, at, our, at, our, at our network, and um, they spelled their name differently on their cover letter, resume, and on their demo reel. So their demo reel didn't match up with their resume. It's like, if you're gonna spell your own name wrong, that's a problem, right? Yes, I agree. And then I had one that is still one of my favorites to date, and I won't do it justice, but I'll paraphrase. They essentially said um, that for the last five years, they had been selling electronics equipment in Amish country. And if they can do that, they can do anything. And it just, it was like two sentences long, and it just, I thought it was fantastic. It just like, it spoke volumes in two sentences. It made me chuckle a little bit. And I never forgot. It's like you said, yes. that little detail, like the person skydives or whatever it is, mm -hmm. that little detail you never forget. And I'm like, oh, this is the guy that did the thing, you know? I agree. You want to figure out how can I grab this person's attention? Yeah. Um, and so that's what I talked earlier about the hobbies, like bring who you are into the interview, because that is what nine times out of 10 is going to set you apart in this process, because many of the profiles start to look very similar. Oh yeah, it all starts to blend in after a while. It feels like everybody read the same, you know, ebook preparation stuff or whatever, and they're all rehearsed and saying the right things. And it's like, yes. I want to see you. I want to see your personality come through. Okay, you uh, said something that stood out to me very much. You talked about attacking the volume. So, yeah. so, how do you attack the volume? I mean, I think that's got to be one of the hardest things. My fear would always be. How, how do I know I don't miss somebody? How do I know I don't miss that person that has the high ceiling, but maybe doesn't hit all, check all the boxes? Mm -hmm. Like I was always so afraid I would miss that, that superstar. And so I'd go through everything with a fine tooth comb and I drive myself insane, right? How do yes. you do that when you're talking about a thousand scale? So I, for, for me, I, I generally start with filter. There's a filter. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, typically those qualifying questions are associated with it. Those are sort of um, uh, the baseline. And so if if a person isn't is acknowledging that they haven't hit that baseline, then we feel confident in saying, OK, based on this response and this and the uh, weight of this competency or experience for this role, this may not be a good fit. And then from there, once we do that filtering, I, I start with the resume. Yeah, uh, I start with the resume uh, and then I I'm doing a quick scan. Let me see. I think the first thing that I'm really capturing is the visual appeal of it. Um, if, okay. if, it if it for me is hard to understand or it doesn't flow or if it is 10 pages, um, sometimes <laughs> I see students who um, maybe don't have a ton of experience, but they've listed all their coursework. And for me, that's that's of no value. Like you've right. graduated like. I don't need to see every class you took each semester because that's not 
giving me a, any preview into who you are and what you can bring to the team. So I think mm -hmm. clear, concise resume. Um, if you can put numbers to help uh, quantify your impact, that is great. But I'm Love really going to start the, yep. the, the, the visual uh, of it. And then I'm going to look at, OK, what were the job titles? What was the experience? What was the impact? That's what I'm looking for. What was the impact? And then you want to make sure that it's not repetitive throughout. Um, I firmly believe if you said that you did this skill so let's take for instance an entry-level administrative assistant you know i answered the phone routed mail and opened the office if your next role was like a senior administrative assistant maybe for a different company don't restate that same bullet tell yeah. me tell me how you have evolved from that first role but don't keep you know echoing yeah. the same points because i want to see how you've learned i mean see how see how you've grown see what you've learned in that space so i'm going to start with the resume and then i'm always excited when i see a cover letter because if the resume has intrigued me i'm going to the cover letter now to say "Ooh, okay what other flavor is here i like that okay so that's a that's a, a sometimes a reverse order some people start the other way i like that you do it that way and that that resume almost becomes a checkpoint to get you to the cover letter yes Yes. And so I think the cover letter is then what helps you stand out when I've said all of these resumes I like. Let me look at the cover letter. What else am I able to lift to see a glimpse into their impact, their experience, their storytelling, their creativity uh, or what makes them different? What sets them apart? How much time would you guess you spend looking at a resume? So full transparency here. Uh, when I'm first starting it and I don't do this as much as I used to now, um, I probably spend more time. But when I'm at resume 101, <laughs> my eyes are probably a little cross-eyed, and I have I have sort of also in that process honed in on the the profile I'm looking for. Yeah. Because at first I'm like, oh, this looks really good, and so I have this A candidate. And I'm like, well, maybe that A candidate should have been a B candidate, so I'm, yeah. I'm switching it around. But by the time I get to 101, I've honed in on like, okay, I have a general idea of the uh, of the skill set that we have captured. And so yeah. now I am saying this is the best. This is the best. This is maybe a close second. Let me let me go back. Maybe I'm tired, but I don't want to throw. I don't yeah. I don't want to remove them from the, the review process and going forward. So I would say in the beginning, I definitely spend more time compared to when I get to resume 101. Yeah, I got it down where I like by like you said, resume 101. I was like five or six seconds. You yes. know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, have they worked at the right place? Nope. Okay. Yep. Next. <laughs> you yes. know, like, yes. be because for me and for you, like I was hiring at the eighth largest TV network, you know, TV yes. market, you're, you're hiring for the third largest TV market or, mm -hmm. or the teams and the pro teams and whatever. It's like, for a lot of our roles, I couldn't bring in somebody that didn't have some high level experience. So I could kind mm -hmm. of deduce pretty quickly, like they haven't worked anywhere that would let them live up to this workflow Correct. or the urgency or the pressure or the market demands. So mm -hmm. you could kind of determine that quickly and move yes. on with a brand like Monumental. I have to assume you kind of do the same mental gymnastics a little bit, right? Yeah, we, we definitely do the same mental gymnastics. And one tip I'll share here. So Monumental Sports and Entertainment is our corporate brand, uh, the, the corporate umbrella. Most people don't recognize that as fast as they would recognize Washington Wizards, yeah. Washington Mystics, Washington Capitals. So I always uh, inform like former interns or entry level candidates while you may list monumental sports. Uh, but I encourage you to say, you know, I sold tickets for the Washington Wizards NBA team. Yes. Because people will instantly know that. 
at a faster pace than they made monumental sports and entertainment. So that's one thing, or I was an intern for the Washington Wizards. Like, make sure you make it easy for someone to associate the brand that you supported. Uh, because, you know, while I know Monumental Sports, if you're in the DMV, you know Monumental Sports Entertainment. Yeah. But if you're in California, you may say, who is Monumental Sports? But if I say Washington Wizards, you instantly know the brand. You know, you know. How do young people, because that's what a lot of our, a lot of our audience are, you know, juniors in college, they're, they're prepping for what's coming ahead for them and they're getting internships and they're getting experience. How do they stand out for these jobs? I mean, how do they end up not just being resume number 101 mm-hmm. and actually being that person that gets into that A pile? Um, is it is it literally just about like you have to do X amount of internships or is there other ways to kind of build their brand and get noticed and get themselves out there? I think they have to figure out what works best for them. Um, in, in, in my time, I've seen some who've had the perfect resume and that definitely helps. You know, they've had internships with some high profile brands then i've had some students who were student athletes and you know Mm -hmm. it was it was their their academic and then they went to practice so that also stands out and that speaks to your commitment um, and your work ethic i think what i see now is that understanding and navigating the networking space because i do not believe to work in sports And in a lot of different industries, you can't be a passive candidate. I think you want to be intentional with trying to make connections. Um, And I think we have such a valuable tool with LinkedIn and having access. So I tell people to try to use technology and work smart. Then people, you know, they always say, well, now we're, you know, social distancing and a pandemic. How can I network? I can't go to this mixer or, or go to this sales workshop. LinkedIn is still a powerful tool. So one tip I would tell any any uh, entry level professional, any college student, you know, when you're sending that initial LinkedIn request, don't just leave it at the default whatever. I want you to personalize that message because for me, I don't add people on my LinkedIn network unless I know you or there's some sort of mutual connection there. So I may speak at different uh, universities or networking events in that message, if you're connecting with me or if you want to connect with Brian, say, you know, if I was going to send you a message and we didn't yep. know each other, I would say, hey, Brian, I have become a huge fan of your podcast, Work in Sports. I've shared it with all of my, my friends. Uh, yep. We are total fans. I'd love to connect with you to, to watch what you're doing closer um, and, and be with, totally welcome the opportunity to speak with you directly should time permit. That is compelling. It I is. want to connect with you. I yep. want to learn more about you. Um, and so I tell anyone, if we've met, Yes, we have met, but networking to me is a process of relationship building. So now you've been added to my LinkedIn, then you should totally go for it. Hey, I'd love to do a quick informational interview with you, 15, 20 minutes, if if your time permits, I have a couple questions about my resume um, and to learn a little bit more about your background. Now, then the next step is to follow up because while I want to meet with a lot of people and and share and, 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 give them advice that I wish I would have had at that age. There's only so many hours in a day. So I I do encourage the follow-up. And I remember as a, as a, my first job, I remember, I think I was working at the grocery store and I called my mom and I said, well, Hey, I applied. And I was like, should I call and see if they got the resume or like anything? She was like, no, you know, my mom's old school. She's like, no, if if you get the job, they'll call you. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, well, I think I should call and just add a little personality to it. She's like, no, but I went ahead and called. 
So the old school of my mom's generation, like you applied, you stop right there. Those days are long gone. I want you to apply and I want you to figure out how can I build a connection internally to at least try to get my resume elevated to the top of the pile or at least in the hands of the right person. So LinkedIn is a powerful tool. And then I think another step with the LinkedIn is post just like you curate your Instagram, mm -hmm. just like you curate uh, whatever social media platforms you have, you have a brand on your LinkedIn platform. Now it should be much more conservative. It should be much more professional, <laughs> uh, but I think you have an opportunity to stay on someone's feed, which then subconsciously keeps you on someone's radar, yes. which then subconsciously allows them to think of you when the right opportunity comes up and they might've had a conversation with you six months ago. But then they say, oh, Brian, just we have a job. This would be perfect for Brian. Hey, yeah. Brian, just saw your post. Uh, hope everything is well. Check out this job here. Let's chat. Yeah. And it does work that way. Like this does happen. We're not talking in some fantasy world. And if no. you if you take the effort to, I, we, we say it all the time too. I say it constantly. It's building the relationship. It's not just like, it's not just a click the button process to network. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people just click to connect and say, okay, I'm, I'm networking. And it's really about, like you said, add the note, start the dialogue, share things that are interesting and, and show thought leadership too. It's like, if you say that you want to work in sports marketing and you're sharing articles that are about things happening in sports marketing, that's part of your brand, right? Mm -hmm. That's how you start to establish who you are and what's what you're passionate about too. It's just being visible in your, in your world. Yes. No, uh, agree 100 um, percent. And I think it's just a, a powerful tool that I think a lot of people, you know, tenured and junior take for granted just the power of LinkedIn. But I think we have seen that grow now that we have all been sort of stuck to living at home and, and working from home and going to school from home. Another piece that I that I will add there is um, this is a tip of what not to do. Ooh, uh, so I like this. Right. You get on, you you know, you go to the website and you say, I want to be the HR coordinator. And you say, oh, wow, there's some email addresses on the website. Let me let me shoot my shot. Let me send an yeah. email, send them my resume. Do not send it to every available email address on the website. <laughs> we we have had that. We had someone that was looking for, I believe, like a legal internship and they emailed everyone in the company. So now me being on the talent acquisition part of the house, guess what I got? That yeah. email forwarded to me 50 times saying, hey, <laughs> Brian reached out. It's not my position or department sharing it with you. So then finally, I'm like, Brian, we had a category that said legal. Right. <laughs> General counsel. Reach out to that person. Reach out to that person. Not <laughs> everyone. So, so be intentional with that. And that can cut two ways. If you do apply for a job and you can find that department head's email address, send them an email. Send that cover letter and use that cover letter as the body of the email. Don't say see attached cover letter resume. You want to make it a one click. When I yeah. open up that email, I want to see that cover letter that you've worked hard on, that you've had plenty of people review. Let that be the first thing. I don't want to say see attached. All I want you to say is, you know, the cover letter is there and then my resume is attached. But pull me in immediately and make it easy for me to, to learn about you, but also to respond. Uh, I, I love this. I love how you have like these tactical tips. This is exactly what everybody's dying for. Like just to really understand best practices. Cause that's what this is. I mean, hiring is a subjective thing, right? Everybody has a different thing that they may be drawn to or attracted to, but there are best practices to follow from networking to interning, to applying, to interviewing. So let's talk about the interviewing side a little bit. You, you know, attack the volume, you get that list down a little bit, you send out the, the video email where they have to do some responses, you keep whittling down that list. And eventually you're gonna be in front of somebody, maybe it's you or maybe it's a direct hiring manager. 
what is the goal for the person on the the employee the the interviewing the person uh let me rephrase that the person who is the job candidate what should be their frame of mind going into that interview what are they trying to get across what do you think hiring managers want to learn in those experiences Mm -hmm. I think they want to verify the knowledge, skills, and abilities that have been identified on your resume as it relates to the position. That is what they should be looking for. Yeah. Uh, and I think sometimes that can get cloudy. Uh, and because and you said, as you stated, it's very subjective and it can have an individual lens. I want to ensure they're asking the appropriate and legal questions. But I think the big part there is that they are assessing out and trying to verify your strengths based on what the job is looking for. Um, I, I tend to not like the, the response. They weren't a good culture fit. Um, because I think that has been used to, uh, impact certain groups in negative ways just because, oh, well, you know, they're not like us. I don't, I'm not looking for a bunch of John Ferguson's. I'm looking for a team that can bring, uh, diverse perspectives to the table. And I'm very interested in seeing someone who hasn't worked in sports. Because guess what? Most of us have worked in sports. We've been here for a long time. And what we have seen is that many sports companies are evolving. You know, we've taken on sort of this tech tech arm when you look at Monumental Sports Network. We have also, um, you know, pivoted into esports. So we're we're evolving from a traditional sports franchise. Uh, And so I think that's really important. And I I, I love to bring in the the talent and skills uh, that people may bring from other industries into our into our space because I think that allows us to have a competitive edge. So the the you know they're not a good culture fit is a sellout because I'm going to ask you well help me understand that. Right, right. So you're a good example of this. You talked about people being hired from outside of the sports industry, right? And and you you told me before we got started that you didn't necessarily while you were getting your undergrad at Furman that you weren't necessarily thinking like I want to work in sports is my passion, but you did end up there. So how did that all kind of transpire for you? And what do you what if you learned that is different about the sports industry than various other industries? What makes it kind of special? Um, All right. So I fell into sports. I moved to D.C. unemployed. I had a whole bunch of no's. Found, (laughs) Found one. Yes. And it was an H.R. coordinator position. And I, I sort of fell in love with that space. Uh, because for me, HR represents the opportunity to meet people where they are. Um, you see people at some of their, 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 their highest points, their lowest points in the middle. Um, but I think we have a real opportunity to make an impact. Um, and I appreciate sort of the coaching and development that we get to see people uh, throughout their career. Uh, and I'm also one of those HR folks that will tell you like, hey, um, maybe there's an external opportunity that is that is waiting for you and and how can we collaborate how can i lend my network to help you get that opportunity what uh so i fell into sports i was looking for the next opportunity and it just so happened to be at a company called monumental sports and entertainment and honestly i probably just saw hr manager job and applied yeah Um, but then when i got a call in for interview i was like wait this is this is pretty cool. This is big, this is big time. This yeah. is big time. Yeah. Uh, and so that that was it. You know, many people are like, well, did you know someone? No. And I got a call back. So I, I feel fortunate there. But I think that goes to cover letter resume. Um, and I think a, a really good phone interview. Um, and I think one of the things that when I think back to that phone interview, it's funny. It was nine years ago, probably at this point. But I, I recall it because, um, you know, <clears throat> 
the uh, recruiter was they they were looking for A, and I wasn't yeah. probably quite at A, but I was right under A, um, and so I just told him the truth. Well, if that is what you're set on, that's not me, and that was reflected on my resume. But what I can do is A B C D E, and I think in sort of championing for myself and my own abilities allowed me to stand out because I could have simply said, well, hey, I don't have 10 years of HR experience. I said, no, I don't, but I have X. And where I'm at in my career is that I am open, willing, and ready to learn. I think there's something about hiring the attitude and training the skill that I will be able to add value because I'm someone that can come in that you can coach. And if we're building a new team here, I think that'd be a, a valuable asset to bring on board. And that works, sounds like. It worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love. I, OK, so I love something that you were a lot that you were saying in there. But in particular, advocating for yourself, like when you're in an interview, nobody is going to pop up and, and whisper in your ear and remind you like, oh, remember that you have this skill, too. And remember that you have this value that you can bring or, you know, your mom's not popping in and saying, oh, remember the time you did this? You know, like exactly. you have to really know yourself, too, and what you bring to the table and be ready and willing to sell that, too. I mean, isn't it kind of like you're selling yourself in these moments? No, you definitely are. You uh, and you're selling yourself. And another phrase that I think I, my colleagues probably know me for is closed mouths do not get fed. You have <laughs> to speak up. And that goes to once you're in the job for your professional development. I get a lot of people that will come, you know, because I, I think in many ways my 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 role in HR leadership is to be a coach. Yeah. Um, and they're upset. You know, well, there was this opportunity. No one told me about it or I didn't know this position was available. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, did you did you ask? Well, I, I really thought my boss should have come to me. No, no, yeah. no. No, no, we gotta, no. We no, got to no. change the framework there. You should yeah. constantly be speaking into where you see yourself going. Um, and it's, I have a funny story here to tell. So when I started Go. at Hyatt, we, um, we had name tags. And because I was an hourly employee, I was non-exempt, I just had my first name. And so first week on the job, I was like, wait, everyone else on my team has their last name because they were exempt or they were management. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, and this became a running joke. I said, well, I want my last name on my mm -hmm. name tag. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it was a light, funny moment for me and the team, but I was speaking into existence what I saw for myself here. I saw yes. growth. I saw getting to become a manager, uh, to uh, have increased responsibilities. And lo and behold, those opportunities came to me. But I think me sort of speaking that turned on a, a lens of, of the director of that department looking at me is like, he does want to grow. He wants yeah. to be with our department. He wants to be with our organization. And I think in many ways, I didn't know what I was doing, but now I recognize I was sort of manifesting how I saw myself growing and being a part of that team. So that was uh, that was a, a funny time, but closed mouths do not get fed. So that was my earliest moment of recognizing that, hey, I want my last name on my name tag, but uh -huh. I was also speaking up for where I wanted to go with the organization. Last year at this time, I had Celia Busa on, who's the director of ESPN Next, and she was, you know, their leadership development program. And she kept saying over and over again, if you don't tell your bosses what you're passionate about, what interests you, where you want to go, if you don't advocate for yourself and have that loud voice, like that's not being squeaky wheel, that's mm -hmm. being intentional. That's yes. really speaking to what you want and where you want to go. If you don't do those things, nobody can guess for you. And that's yes. that's even that's even stuck with me 20 years into my career. And that, that's even stuck with me to this point of saying, like, these are the messages that everybody needs to hear out there when they're young or old, because you know these things are going to come up in your life where you have to be able to say, this is what I want for myself. And this yes. is where I, this is where I see myself going and set those goals. Yes. And, and if you're sort of if you're on the introverted side, I always try to be mindful of the introverted side. 
the you know they they tend to do better with one on one. So when you're having those weekly check ins with your with your boss or those quarterly performance reviews or annual or biannual, that is where you document that. That is where you say, hey, I'm enjoying this. This is where I'm excelling. But this is where I see myself. What tips for you do you have for me? Or opportunities are you aware of that can help me to get there? Or where should I increase my skills? You have to consistently ask for feedback. And yeah. let me give everyone a, a three-question framework to achieve that. The first question is, what should I start doing? Second question is, what should I stop doing? And the last question is, what should I continue doing? That can go in any order. But yeah. those are three easy questions that you can ask anyone. And I think it allows you to cut through the fluff. Because believe it or not, some managers find it challenging to provide that feedback in a way that, you know, they're probably conscious of not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings. But yep. I, I need that to grow because if if me folding the sheet of paper vertical versus horizontal is preventing me from getting a promotion or the next opportunity, I'd rather you just tell me that because it doesn't matter to me. That's just right. <laughs> that's just how I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's that's very important. Uh, and you asked one question about what have I noticed about um, the difference in sort of different industries and coming to sports. What I have realized about the people that work in sports, my colleagues, my friends, my buddies, many of them have had this lifelong passion. And so there is this level of commitment that I think you don't always see in other industries. Yeah. I think there's there's something tied to like their childhood memories. It's, it's, it's deeper than the job. Uh, that's what I've come to realize for people uh, and colleagues that, that work in sports. Unlike myself, I sort of fell into it, but many people like this has been a lifelong wish and, and, and goal for them. Um, and so when they achieve it, they they settle into those spaces. But I also think sometimes they could be doing themselves a disservice because they have settled into a space. Okay. And I think you want to make sure that you're not uh, becoming stagnant. And yeah. sometimes I'm a firm believer, you know, sometimes you have to go to grow. Um, and, and that never means that you can't circle back. That might be your hometown team. That might be your childhood team. We get that. But I also know that the uh, the higher levels of sports entertainment, they're stacked. Those people have worked up mm -hmm. the ranks. They're at the place where they plan to see themselves sort of go into retirement. But I don't want you to become frustrated as middle management or entry level because you're not seeing the growth progression at this particular place. Yeah. There's growth elsewhere. Who knows? You can come back and one day be the chief marketing officer for uh, for that team that you started out as a marketing manager for. It, it's so true. And I learned that lesson personally, too, is like I, my my pathway. I was seven years at CNN Sports Illustrated and I was on the you know production side. But there was it was blocked for me to get to a managing director or, or, or senior level or where I was going to be managing staff or anything of that level. I was going to be an individual contributor where I was creating shows, which I loved, but I wanted to advance to the next stage of management. And in order to get there, I had to leave. I had to go to a different network. And I have friends that are still there at CNN. It's a yes. great place to work. And, it's, and everybody's really loved it. Um, but for me, I needed to get out to get up. You know, mm -hmm. exactly. I, I fully, fully understand that. I, I want to hit on one thing in there because I do think when it plays into the passion of sports, too, and the people that are trying to get into the industry, is that a special moment when you get to tell somebody they got the job? Like, that's got to be pretty cool, right? It is. And I'll be honest, I don't take those moments. Those are the hiring manager's moments. 
Uh, so as a, as talent acquisition, as recruiters, the only people that I extend an offer to would be someone reporting onto my team. So I believe that the hiring manager, your supervisor, your new boss, your new that leader, they should get that moment because it's special and we recognize that. And so I think it's, it's great that they call and they extend that to you because that's going to be your sort of your home base within this larger organization. So uh, I don't I don't always get that, you know, uh, so we send the offer in the official communication. But that phone call, that's part of our yeah. philosophy, call and extend that offer because, yeah. you know, it's that is the best day. That it is, is cool generally moment. your yeah. best day. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it, it's important. And, and when we have, I think anytime you get a job, but I think specifically in sports because of that, those childhood, you know, the nostalgia associated with whether a team or brand or market, it's, it's a special moment. So let's talk about trends moving forward, too, as we look forward, because 2020, we all know, has been kind of a rough year. We've seen a lot of jobs take a hit. We've seen a lot of people that I've known in the industry that are no longer employed or they're furloughed or whatever. What do you see as the future for 2021? And I'm not holding you to anything. I obviously know you can't predict the future. You don't know what things are going to happen. But I don't even mean in just, the, oh, it'll all come rearing back. It's more of like you know, as you look to where we're headed as an industry, we talked about how in 2020 video interviews have become a bigger thing and they're going to stick. Like mm -hmm. where, where do we see those things that have developed and roles and opportunities that you think will stick and continue moving on as we go forward from where we've been? Uh, great question. I think, um, for sports, it's definitely going to be transformative. I think we're learning how to lean in and leverage technology in yeah. ways that will be productive, um, in ways that will, uh, you know, I, when I think from a budget perspective, there may be a higher front end expense because you have to ramp up. But I think the cost savings when you look at the long term plan will be there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so the most practical way I look at it is just real estate. Uh, you know, at our company, we were traditional. You come in, everyone has an office. We had the, you know, we work out of the arena. Uh, we continued to grow, so we had to get a, a, a building near the arena to, to to house some of our colleagues in different departments. Now, it's do we need that additional space? Yeah. Because we have been able to prove that in this virtual setting, we can continue the business. Um, and I also think what we don't hear now are the naysayers. Yep. Um, and I was once one of those naysayers, not because I was against working from home, but because that was just all I knew. You go into mm -hmm. work, mm -hmm. uh, you have your desk, you have everything set up there. I thought that home possibly was too distracting. But now I've come to enjoy this moment. And let me tell you, it took me a while to get to that once we came remote because I didn't have everything I was accustomed to having in my office. Yeah. So then, you know, I think when we all hit this space, we were sort of... Uh, this will be a couple of weeks. This will be a, a month, maybe yeah. two months. It's here to stay. We, we've come to that. So now I have dual monitors. I have all that set up. So I think when we look at the jobs, I think IT infrastructure, cybersecurity, that was already Huge. trending, but yeah. it's going to be amplified. I think data analytics is going to continue to boom. Yeah. Um, and I think what we see in sports there with data analytics, that's a challenging position because it's competitive mm -hmm. and it's competitive to the advantage of the candidate because there's so few people with this true data anal uh, um, analyst skill set that they have tons of opportunity. And so uh, the, there are larger brands, there are bigger companies, there are tech companies, so everyone's competing for this pool of talent. Um, and then I think the next thing is that you're gonna have to, you know, the people looking for jobs going forward, 
you're going to be ready for change, ready for flexibility, and honestly ready for um, uncertainty. Yeah. Because that is what we're all experiencing and feeling right now. Um, because, you know, not having fans, it hit the industry very hard. Um, yeah. And prior to this, I worked for hospitality. Uh, and that industry has significantly been impacted. You know, some yeah. of my former colleagues are, you know, even in management, like they're like, the hotel is closed. Wait, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Like, they're like, we're closed until yeah. until further notice. But there was no point in keeping it operating because there was no no clients, no guests, no customers. And so that that really shocks me. You know, I rode through D.C. the other day and this uh, relatively new hotel uh, was convention style hotels. Huge. Hasn't been open that long. Closed. Closed. It's so hard. I mean, I've seen restaurants that opened like months before all of this. I've seen other places that have had to shut down. I mean, it's sad. It's hard. Uh, we're, we're lucky in a lot of ways. The sports industry has persevered in some degrees, but a lot of, for a lot of people, it hasn't. Um, hopefully, there'll be a run on hiring when things start to come back to normal and you start to get people back in the arenas and revenue starts coming in and more partnership deals and more sponsorship deals and all the other things that can happen. Hopefully it'll be like, let's start hiring sales staff again and let's start hiring these rules again. And it just starts to flood. I do agree. So that's why I say practice, get those interviews. Don't, don't get rusty. Don't, don't get stagnant in this space because uh, when the, when the, when the lights come back on, it's going to be a rush to get yeah. everything up and running. And so be ready so you don't have to get ready. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a, a ton of upside, but it'll be interesting to see how the landscape will change. You know, we did a uh, monumental hosted a, a, a sort of like a virtual summit and I love the technology. I've cool. gone to various sort of uh, uh, large career fairs or things in this virtual space. I think some of that might be here to stay yeah. because when you look at from a safety perspective, which is, you know, the new standards of, of health protocols that I think will be here to stay. Um, and then I think to some degree, there's some cost saving. And yeah. then in addition to that, I can have a larger audience. Yeah, more people can come, more people can attend. Correct. So we did there's more a, visibility. We did a sales workshop last year and we had, you know, we had room for maybe 80 to 100 people. Yeah. This year we did it virtually. Scales, um, up. Call it scales up. I think they had 300 or 400 people there. We could have hosted more because yeah. We're, we're leveraging technology. And guess what? Zoom was there before all of this. I know, right? <laughs> we, we, we all just are like, oh, wait, we can really scale this up. And, and it saves money in a lot of different ways. And like you said, the safety, security, everything. Yes. It's, you, don't actually, have to buy any, you don't have to buy anybody food. I mean, it's, no, it's all these, yeah. it all works. Now, I have seen some innovative ways in which people are leveraging these digital spaces. So, um, you know, I've been on various sort of conferences and they're like, oh, we send everyone a Uber credit or Red Door uh, or DoorDash, whatever, yep. and you can order lunch. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually a bit of a nerd and wanting to see like how people are creating these moments. Okay, I got one for space. you. I Go got for one it. for you. So my wife's in marketing, okay? okay? And one of her vendors that they work with, they sent her a bottle of wine and said, join us tomorrow night for a session with the winemaker and then we're going to talk a little bit of business. And so it showed up on her door. Yes. Right, immediately she felt special. She felt committed. And she was like, okay, let's go. So she cracks open the bottle of wine. She goes to this event. The winemaker's there and answers some questions. And then they do like a little bit of a business talk afterwards. And I was like, that was genius. You know, they, Very. she showed up and was like paying attention and happy Correct. as could be. And, and it was and a good bottle of wine. <laughs> yes. And two years ago, that would have been, 
we're going to fly you out. So yes. now you got to handle those logistics. And you can't tell me the price tag is higher for that. It has to be hotel, travel, yes. food, food and beverage, like all of that. So now she felt good about it. She felt yes. safe. Uh, they gave her the information she needed and it was a win-win. So I'm, I'm it was a really, cool experience. really excited to see how those moments stay. You know, someone mentioned the other day, um, you know, when 9-11 happened, airport security was never the same anymore. Yeah. So this pandemic has happened. What will never be the same as we go forward? And there will be some things. I think, you know, the mask, that's probably going to be something that's just going to that's going to yep. be sort of incorporated into the fabric of how we how we go about our day to day lives uh, here in the U.S. So it'll it'll be interesting. And then I'm, I'm excited. You know, they someone that mentioned, uh, you know, the 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 previous pandemic and then it was the roaring 20s. And so yeah. I'm also excited to see what is the roaring for our group going to look like, because there are a lot of people who are at home, uh, whether they've been furloughed, laid off or just getting back to their core they're leaning into these passion projects. They're really following their purpose. They're it's becoming true. entrepreneurial. So it'll be it'll be so interesting to see what is birthed from this time frame. You know what I love is I wrote an entire outline of questions I was going to ask you, and I don't think I asked a single one. We just started talking, and I love that. I absolutely love it. I didn't hit on any of those questions, and I'm fine with it. I'm totally throwing it out. But what that means is I've taken enough of your time now, but we talked a lot about the people side of your uh, job. Yes. We didn't get to talk as much about culture. So in the future, I would love it if you would come back on and we could have another conversation about corporate culture and how important that is. So um, I'm locking you in now that I'm going to come back and ask for another interview in the future if you're okay with it. Brian, please do it. At this point, we're best buds. So yeah, uh, I, know, right? I, I may just call you just to have a casual conversation. So, I would love that. We can yes. talk wizards all day long. We can talk whatever you want. We can talk yes. about anything. I there love you go. it. Well, hey, I appreciate the opportunity to to join your, your network and, and uh, your podcast. This is my first time doing a podcast, so I'm excited. Yes, you're to see. right. You're good, man. Yeah, I'm excited to see the outcome here. But thank you again for the opportunity. I'll tell you, just having the tactical advice you were sharing, the actual actionable advice that people can take and do and and go away with this from, and coupling that in with all the different strategies and perspectives and framing your mind, I just think it's brilliant. So thank you so much for bringing that to our audience today. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Brian. That was a long interview, but I don't know. I've listened to it a bunch now, and I didn't get tired of anything he was sharing. I didn't get bored at any moment. I didn't feel like there was anything in there that was fluff or doesn't make a difference. John and I have very similar attitudes about this. This is about actionable advice. This is about what can you do to make yourself better for the sports industry. And John gave you a list of stuff. Like if you weren't taking notes during that, if you weren't writing down these things and saying, okay, I'm going to put these into action. I'm going to put these into my personal action plan. If you weren't doing that, you're insane. This is a VP of people and culture for a major sports brand telling you what stands out. Ah, so powerful. So grateful to, for John coming on the show. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and absorbing all this information and being a part of our community. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. Please, wherever you listen, rate, review, help us continue to build the audience because I get people like John Ferguson, the VP of People and Culture at Washington uh, at Monumental Sports and Entertainment Group. I get him to come on the show because it's no, he knows it's worth his time. He knows there's a lot of you out there listening and that you're, he's going to be able to affect a lot of people and make a difference out there. And that's important to him. You know, his time is valuable. And I'm not saying that he, you know, wouldn't if we were a lesser podcast, but I think it helps. So please continue to rate and listen and review. 
and uh, can continue to be a part of our community because it matters. So thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next week.